Jesus does love us. This we know. Amen. Oh, in that spirit of love, that atmosphere that the Lord has brought us into this this morning, let's, let's bring our time in the Word before Him in prayer. Jesus, thank you for your love for each of us. Thank you that you expressed that by dying on the cross for us. Lord, we pray that you would speak to each one of us today with that specific word that we need to know for our lives and the word that we need to know as a body of believers called abundant life. Lord, we give you this time. We entrust it to your power. We ask that it be to your glory. Give me the utterance that you've already ordained me to speak, that it would be a blessing to all and glorifying to you. In your name, Lord, we ask. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to turn our attention to God's word and we're going to be in first Corinthians chapter one, verses 22 through 25. And we stand to honor the reading of God's word. And so if you didn't bring your Bible, not to worry, words will be on the screen. But I'm going to be in first Corinthians one, beginning in verse 22 and going through verse 25. First Corinthians one, 22. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Please be seated. On Friday, I met a remarkable woman. I didn't meet her personally, but I was one of about 500 people attending the Silicon Valley prayer breakfast. And they had two speakers, one of whom was this woman named Reggie Littlejohn. And I'd not heard of her before. Perhaps you haven't either. But I got to know her because she is doing significant work. And specifically, she is overseeing an effort. She's the head of a nonprofit that works in China to come against the forced abortion That is still very much a part of that society where women are forced to abort babies if they've had more than one. And sometimes they're forcibly taken for that procedure. And it is an evil and it is something that God wants us to come against. And so her life's mission is to work in that area and to bring the Lord's presence in terms of ending that and also being on the ground, helping some women who were struggling with gender selected abortions, where it's a culture where oftentimes women are not as valued as, as men, where girls are not as valued as boys. And this is what God has brought her to be about. And I don't want to single out China by, by you know, speaking that way. Every country has its issues. Every country needs saints that the Lord is raising up to go against those things that grieve his heart. But. And what really kind of compelled me about her story isn't so much what she's doing, but how she got there to see the power in her life and to see it work out so that she's at this place. Because when she started, she had no idea what God was up to in her life. And very often, I think that's true for us, that very often we don't understand how God's power works. So we wonder if he's really up to something. We wonder if he's going to be sufficient for what he's called us to. We wonder if we can go all the way through that. And we're going to look at some texts from the Gospels that actually, as we look at what Jesus went through when he went to die for us on the cross in Golgotha, when we look at those Gospel accounts, we begin to see God's power manifest. We begin to learn things about God's power that will be not only useful for us, but essential if we're to live out the calling that he has for us. And so 
I want us to focus on that this morning. Now, when I heard Reggie's story, what moved me so much was where she began. She said she was raised in a Christian household, but at 16, she said to her mom and dad, you know what? I don't believe anymore. I'm, I'm an atheist. Now, how many of you know that when you say that, you know, God's just starting to work on you, that he's not going to let you go. And some of you have a testimony like that here today. But God didn't let her go. She'd take a, you know, an ancient literature class and guess what? Had to read the New Testament. She'd go on a around the world trip and found herself working in Mother Teresa's missions in, in Calcutta, where she saw the love of God firsthand in action. And she can't deny that God is real and that he's making a difference. But it didn't dissuade her from her chosen career path, which was to become a lawyer. And so she went to a good law school, uh, joined a you know pretty high-priced firm, and she was on her trajectory. She got married to a college sweetheart. They had their first son, and everything was going well. She did some pro bono work. One of the pro bono pieces that she got to do, there was a woman from China who was seeking asylum in the U.S. because of persecution. So she thought, okay, I can, I can help her out. So she did and kept going with her legal career. After their first son was born, she said when they were pregnant with their second child, she miscarried. And that was really hard in a way that only a woman can really appreciate. So they tried again. And then the third child, she miscarried. And so she's just saying, what is going on? And she called her mom and just, you know, in despair and said, mom. And her mother said, we don't understand why these things happen. But out of pain can come purpose. So she just sort of filed that away as she went on with her legal career. But a little bit later, she, her health took a really dramatic turn and she required major surgery. And she came through the surgery okay, but in the recovery period, while she's still in the hospital, she contracted one of those superbugs that you read about, where the normal course of antibiotic treatment does nothing. And you need some pretty aggressive, pretty toxic chemicals to start really getting at it. And so they put those into her body right on her heart and other vital organs. And they did this over a period of 10 months. She became incredibly weak. She lost her hair. She lost weight. It was a, really a fight for life. But at the end of that 10-month period, God had spared her life. And she didn't, you know, the, the bug, the super bug was, was beaten back, if you will. But she said this then ushered her into a period of what she calls five years of darkness. And she said in that time, she was... Diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. And if you know something about that, you just are in this place where you're not functioning at any kind of significant level. And so that once promising legal career really got changed. She wasn't sure what she was supposed to do. She didn't know really what everything that she'd invested in was now being turned upside down. The life that she thought she was going to live was nowhere near the life she was living. And I'll tell you a little bit later about more of her journey, about how God walked her through that to bring her to the place where now as the head of this nonprofit and doing the work that she's doing, she is she is speaking to parliament. She spoke to the European parliament, to the Irish parliament. She has done Voice of America broadcast. She has been in front of various congressional committees about six times, all speaking on this issue. And God brought her from this place that I just described to a place of his purpose and calling for her. But hers is just one illustration of realizing and looking at the power of God. And we have to look at that if we want to understand where God's taking us. So I want to look at a few things that I see out of the gospel narratives about God's power. The first thing I notice is that God's power is hard to see. 
at first. You know, God is on the move far earlier than we can actually observe or feel. And so it's important to notice that eventually his power unfolds into our lives. But if we don't get the fact that he's on the move before we actually see it, we're going to miss out on some key things. Now, we're trained as a culture to look at power in the way that we see it. It's not power unless we can see it. Just think of our entertainment culture. If you go to the movies, what is power shown as? Things are blowing up. Things are going boom. It's fast. It's furious. It's speedy. There's all kinds of dramatic stuff that says this is power. That's not God's power necessarily. God's power is already happening before we can see it. Let's turn our attention for a little bit to the gospel accounts, because as we head up to Easter, it is this time where we really want to connect with what Jesus has done for us. And if you remember those accounts, you remember how Pastor Eric started Jesus in the garden when he spoke about that last week. And now after his trial, he is in the palace of the Roman governor. He's actually in the courtyard being beaten by the soldiers. They're mocking him as the king of kings. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they are beating him with rods. They're spitting on him. They're ridiculing him. And then after that, they take him out of that palace and they put a cross on him and they march him through the streets of Jerusalem on the way outside the city limits to the, what's called the place of the skull, Golgotha in the Aramaic translated in Latin is where we get our word Calvary. But that's where he will be crucified, where he'll hang on a cross for six hours and die a very slow an agonizing death. As Jesus is being led out of the governor's palace, as he has that cross on his shoulders, as he's marching through the streets of Jerusalem, we're told who is with him. One account says that many followed him. And we're not sure what they're thinking or feeling. We don't know. It could be sometimes like people slow down in front of an accident. And they, they, they're glad they're not in it, but they just want to see it. People just, wow, there's something going on here, so I'm just going to go watch. We know his disciples were with him at some point, and they're heartbroken because the man that they've been following, who they called Lord, Rabbi, for three years, is going to his death. And they don't get it now. They don't understand. He's told them, but they still don't get it. The Roman soldiers are just thinking he's one more Jewish criminal to beat up on, and they're making sport of it. It's just all part of the job. The religious leaders, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're thinking a heretic is going to get his just desserts. This is finally what our nation needs to do to be rid of this man. All that's in the gospel accounts. There's a mother that's going along with him. And she's seeing her son going to his death. So there's a variety of people the accounts tell us about. And they have different perspectives of what's going on. But all of them would agree that Jesus is going to die, that he's going to his death. That's what we see. Nobody is seeing the power of God in those moments. But during that journey, that what we call the way of the cross to the crucifixion, what is God seeing during that time? Is he seeing a powerless man who's just his three year life you know, ministry is coming to an end? No, God is seeing his one and only son actually fulfilling his mission of all power to actually do the greatest rescue operation that has ever been known. And in the moment that Jesus gives, breathes his last, that mission is completed. It is finished. That's what God is seeing. God is saying, God is looking at Jesus going forward and he's saying, I'm sending my son 
for everyone, everyone who I've ever made, everyone who's ever been born, past, present and future. The, the scope of the rescue mission is as broad as it can be. And, and the rescue mission is rescuing us from the greatest danger that we could ever face. And that is an eternity without being in the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, it says, is fullness of joy. And in his right hand, pleasures forevermore. The prospect of missing out on that is too unbearable to think about when you really think about it. Our world with all, you know, we see in a glass darkly, and so we don't really understand that fully. But if we could be more in the presence of the Lord, we would just be absolutely rejoicing. God knows that, and that's why he's sending a son that all of us would experience that, have the opportunity to take that. So his salvation, what Jesus did on the cross was for everybody. It's saving us from the greatest danger that we could ever face. And it is for all time. It is past and present and future. Those that were born before Christ, those disciples and those that knew him while he was on earth, and all of us who have come since then, all have the offer of this work of the Lord. All have this opportunity to be with the, in the presence of God forevermore. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what the Heavenly Father was seeing. Even though people were seeing a man going to his death, his Heavenly Father was seeing what? Great power being displayed. And so we don't always see, oftentimes we don't see God's power at first. We need to really appreciate that if we're going to understand what God is doing in our lives. Do you think you see all the power that God has for you? No, I don't think so. I think if we knew what God was up to in each of our lives, it would blow our mind. We haven't begun to ask or imagine what God has in store for those who love him. I think that's true with Reggie, Reggie Littlejohn that I was just telling you about. Do you think she saw any of this while she went through sort of heartbreak after heartbreak, disappointment after disappointment, setback after setback? No, I don't think she saw God's power at work. But he was in his own way knitting all these things together to call her into this ministry that she now has. And one of the reasons we don't see God's power in our life that way is because we're focused on the the difficult challenges and the circumstances. We think that because of the difficulties that we're going through, that God isn't there, that his power isn't at work, that somehow we're missing it. When you have things go on at your career, maybe something happens on your job and the promotion that you thought you were going to get, you didn't get. Or the boss that you love, you know, changed jobs or something happened, it sets you back. Career buster kinds of things. Or maybe you're in the, on the end of a relationship that's broken up, whether single or married, or you're estranged from a family member. There are relationship breakers that happen in our life, career busters, relationship breakers. In Reggie's case, her health was greatly just degraded and she suffered tremendously. Those are things that diminish our life. They're life diminishers. All these things can conspire if we focus on them to just say, Lord, I don't see your power in my life. I don't know because I don't see the power. I don't know that you care or that you love me. And what I want to say is we want to get our mind and our thoughts above those circumstances. We don't want to bail out early because this is one of the things that happens when we look at the challenge and the turmoil of what's going on in our life. We can conclude that God's not at work. And if we conclude that he's not at work, we say what? I'm done. I'm out. This isn't working for me. I may cling to a form of religion, but I'm going to deny its power. I'm going to show up at church because that's kind of how I got raised. But I'm not really expecting a whole lot. 
I'll go to work, but I'm not expecting a breakthrough. I hope, you know, I get some finances, but I'm not expecting much there. It's that place of of not being able to see God's power that causes us to grow weary, causes us to bail out. And sometimes we just do that because we're growing weary because we're actually trying to do this in our own strength. It's, it's our flesh that's really kind of growing tired. And you will always run out of your own strength, won't you? Yeah, there's some of us. I've got on our car, we've got a little gas light that goes on when we're running out of gas. When we're about a, I hope it's just a gallon left. Maybe it's two. I haven't really tested it out. But it says that you're running out of gas and you've got to pull over. Some of us have a car like I used to have, which had no light. And in fact, it just it had a mind of its own. The gas gauge would look kind of full for about a half a tank. And then when it was on a quarter of a tank, you knew you only had about 10 miles left and you better get out there. So some of us are just running out. Our needles are way to the end there. You're below E. And I want to just tell you that's OK to be below E, because in your own strength, you will always get to that place. What you need to do is pull in to that place of prayer and pull into that place of fellowship and say, Lord, I am out of gas. I need your strength. All that I can see, like the people that walk with Jesus to Calvary, saw no display of God's power in that time. Nothing like what God was actually trying to accomplish. And I would say many of us right now in whatever area of life that we're going through can would say that same thing. I don't see any evidence of God's real power in my life. And then you've got to come before the Lord and you've got to see with his eyes. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we say, Lord, show me what you need me to see in this circumstance. Help me understand what I need to know in order to keep living, in order to keep going for you. If we would do that, do you think he would be faithful? Yeah, I do. I think he would say to us things like, for the joy set before me, says Jesus, I endured the cross. For the joy of a restored marriage, I want you to endure and be patient with your spouse. For the joy of seeing your children raised up to be godly young men and young women, I want you to persevere through those teen years especially. For the joy of becoming the manager, the leader, or the the business entrepreneur that I planned you to be, I want you to endure that crazy boss, or that messed up performance review, or that failed promotion. Because you're going to learn what it means to actually lead somebody in a better place. None of those things that we're going through are purposeless. As Reggie's mom told her, out of pain comes purpose. So what is God doing? What is he showing you? If you want to know what he's trying to show you, say, Lord, what are, what are the setbacks? What are the, what's the pain that I'm feeling? What do you want me to learn from that about who you are and about what you want me to do? Show me your power. You know, so that may be application for our life. But here's a question. What's an application for us here at Abundant Life in this time? What's God up to now at ALCF? What power for his kingdom purposes has he released that we can't see yet? You know, he was already on the way to doing something that we desperately needed through Jesus's way of the cross. But people didn't see it. He's on his way to do something through abundant life that many of us can't see right now and in this season. But he's up to something. Sometimes, like those that watched the Lord go to his death, they were in touch with their own intense feelings or maybe their own gladness if they thought he should be going to his death. We may be in touch with our own sense of loss or of heartache or of confusion 
or of doubt. We may be in touch with those things. That's what we see. But I think God is seeing something different. I think God is seeing something out of this body that he's already put in. And actually, he is expecting a very good return from it. He's expecting us to continue to go forward in the love of the Lord, to continue to be his vessels of mercy and of grace to those around us, to continue to meet here, to be empowered by his word and by worship and by fellowship, to pull into the gas station and go from E to full. We do that together as a body. So we may look around and not see the power of God like we once saw it or not think we don't see it. But his power is on the move. His power is on the move far more than we give him credit for and far earlier than we'd like to see. So God's power is hard to see at first. But he'll make it manifest. The second thing I want to tell you about God's power, what he put on my heart, is that God's power looks a lot like weakness. You want to see God's power? I'll show you weakness. Really? Oh, yeah. Can you think of a weaker looking Messiah than Jesus going to the cross at that moment? No. For the Jews of the day, the Messiah was to be the savior, but they meant saving them from the Roman occupation, that he would be a political victor. He would be a general. He would be some kind of all in one kind of guy, superhero that kicks out the Romans and restores the land to that privileged place that God had always designed for it. Very biblical understanding of what their destiny was. They just didn't realize that the enemy wasn't Rome. The enemy was sin. The enemy wasn't the Roman emperor. It was Satan and his forces. They got the wrong enemy, but the right idea about the Messiah. And so because Jesus, not only is he not throwing the Romans out, but he's actually a criminal condemned to die by the very Roman government that they thought any Messiah should be getting rid of. And so he's no Messiah. And what's worse, if you knew your your scriptures back then, you knew that anybody that was going to go to be crucified, which was the worst form of capital punishment of the day, that they were actually cursed. Cursed, says Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or on a tree. And the Pharisees at the time, the teachers of the law said, hey, what that means is modern translation is if you're being crucified, you are under a curse. And so Jesus is not only not throwing out the, the Roman occupation, but he's a cursed man because of the way he's he's going to be killed. And so on those two deals alone, he is no Messiah. And this is why Christ crucified, says our text that we read in first Corinthians, is a stumbling block to the Jews. In other words, it makes no sense. They cannot get their mind around it. No, you know, your, your first grade Jewish theology test for for kids six years old would say this is what the Messiah is. And nobody would check being crucified. Made no sense. In the same way, this is why it's foolishness to the Greeks, because the Greeks who prided themselves on their intellect, even the average intellectual of the Greek culture would also say that no condemned criminal had any business claiming to be any kind of savior of anybody. You know, just he's tripping. This just doesn't make any sense. So it's a stumbling block to the Jews. Christ's crucifixion His crucifixion is foolishness to the Greeks. But to us who are being saved it is what the power of God, which is stronger than anything that man would have. The wisdom of God, which is wiser than anything that man can think of or conceive of. The weakness of God is stronger than anything man has. God's power looks like weakness. God's power as he moved through Reggie's life looked like weakness. 
But he was taking every episode, the miscarriages, the pro bono work for the woman who was seeking asylum, taking just that five year period of, of getting her off her pretty high powered legal career and taking all those things and bringing her to a point that I think he brings brings all of us to when we're dealing with the whole issue of, Lord, where's your power? And I'm feeling weak. She gets to this place where she says this. I cast myself on the Lord and he gave me this hunger for his word. I read the Bible over and over. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I felt that the Lord was renewing my mind. I felt he was renewing my mind. And then I felt called to begin praying for those who are worse off than I was. I began to pray for Christians who were being tortured for their faith and women who were being forcibly aborted. I be, it became my sole focus and consuming passion to do something about this cause. Isn't it just like God, as he did with Jesus, getting to, to a place, even as he walked to the cross, weaker and weaker and weaker until with his last breath, just before he breathes his last, he forgives those who put him on the cross he takes care of his mother by putting her in the care of John the Apostle. And then he says, it's done. In his last ounce of strength yet left, God accomplishes his great work on our behalf. In Reggie's life, God takes her bit by bit, goes from bad to worse to worst, if you will. And in that place, with very little strength here, in that period of darkness, she brings herself before the Lord. And takes in his word, takes in his presence, starts to pray. And he puts on her now that she has now that he has her separated from all the things that would be distractions from his call and his purpose. He puts her right in the place. She is in his presence and he is giving her his assignment. Now, that's not just for Reggie. That's not just for Jesus. This is how God works. Out of weakness comes the display of his power and out of weakness in our lives comes his call on our lives. And the things that he's building. Scripture is, is full of that. I just think of Acts 16, where you read the account of the church at Philippi. If you, some of you know that. You know that when Paul and Silas rolled into Philippi, they made one convert, Lydia. And then they said, okay, that's a good start. So then they went back to the marketplace the next day, and they, where they encountered the slave girl who had the spirit of divination. She could tell the future. And she was annoying Paul, saying that these are men from God. And so he casts out that spirit of divination. And the... Uh, Owners of her who were making a pretty good profit suddenly saw their business. They just went out of business <laughs> unannounced to anybody. They didn't plan it. They were just done. And so they file a civil complaint. They actually take Paul and Silas to the magistrates and they said, these guys just trashed our business. And so the magistrates beat up Paul and Silas. It says they stripped. They had them stripped and beaten and they threw them into jail. So, so far, Paul's missionary journey is not going so well. One convert and then a big fracas in the marketplace. And now they're in prison. Beaten, stripped. And what do they do? They fight back, right? They organize a jailbreak. They have some guards that start to distract other guys while they sort of, you know, start digging. No, they don't do any of that. They're in prison. And around midnight, it says that they are what? Praying and singing hymns. It's all they're doing. Can you think of a weaker situation when you're a missionary to being imprisoned? You're not talking to anybody, maybe some prisoners, but you're not able to go. You have no freedom. Your options are limited. But they're praying and they're 
They're singing hymns to God. And out of that, of course, comes God's great act of power. When the earthquake happens, the chains fall off. The Philippian jailer who's there, who had one job description, which is keep those guys in jail. And he had one penalty. He wasn't only going to get fired. He's actually going to get executed if that happened. And so he take, he's about to take his life. If you know the story, you know that Paul says, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The Philippian jailer in that moment of seeing God's power knows he's in the divine presence, doesn't understand it. Paul explains the gospel to him and he and his whole family are saved. And out of that comes a church that Paul commends for being out of their poverty. They continue to be generous. Now, you can look at the you can read all kinds of church magazines these days. And there's whole movements about church plants around the world and all that other stuff and how to do that. I don't think any of them would say. First, get yourself thrown into prison, beaten up. Then do nothing but pray and start to worship. God's ways are not our ways. When we feel weak, God is at work. That's the important thing to see. But though we are weak, we are not powerless. You can, you can think, if you, in a wrong way, you can think that poor Silas and Paul are just huddled up and kind of crouched over and they're just burning and, and, and that this is a pathetic little sight of two guys in Philippi. But what does God see? God sees two men who are calling down the power of heaven to have way in their circumstance, to make a way that nobody saw or could foresee. And out of that faithful prayer comes the church that they were trying to, to birth, comes the community that they were trying to start. So when you feel weak, you are not powerless. When you feel like weeping, it is good to worship. When you feel like passing, it is good to pray. When you feel fatigued, you have faith. We take every thought captive to the word of God. As we do that, we're able to see God start to have his way in our lives. We're able to see how he's going to take that weakness that we feel, that we experience, that we know is real, and use it for his kingdom purposes and his glory. What's the application for us at Abundant Life? Doesn't this feel like a weak time in our body life? We've said goodbye to ministry partners, pastors, staff, people that we love and care about. We've said goodbye to friends that we've served with. It feels weak, doesn't it? We look around, we have fewer resources. Pastor Marcus just gave us a, an invitation to participate because we're down some people. It feels weak, doesn't it? But God is going to use that weakness just like he did with Jesus on the way to the cross and just like he did in Reggie Little John's life. And now just as he's going to do in the life of abundant life, he's going to use every ounce of that, every aspect of pain to renew our purpose and to take us to a place that we haven't even begun to think or imagine. I don't know what that looks like. We don't know. We haven't begun to ask or imagine what that looks like. I don't know how long that is. That's up to God. All I know is that we're called to be faithful. We're called to follow the way that Jesus did along the road to Calvary. We're called to follow the way that Reggie modeled just by being faithful and by being prayerful and by being worshipful and taking in the word of God and things that we've seen. Out of that faithfulness will come the revelation of what he wants us to do. The power that he already has made manifest that we need. And we will see that and we will give him glory. So we don't, excuse me, use the weapons of the world. Our future or your future 
And whatever setting you're in isn't up to your own cleverness or your intellect, your money or your influence or your reputation. Those are those can be good servants if you have them, but they're not meant to be hung on to. They're meant to be used in the service of the kingdom of God. They're not your life calling. Your life calling is what God has given you. So don't rely on your own resources. Don't be like Asa, the king of Judah, who when he was being attacked by Basha, the king of Israel in the period of the divided kingdom, went, took all the money he had. Every last dime would be the, the living Bible translation. Took every last dime and went to the king of Aram. And he said, I need your help. I got the king of Israel coming after me and I need your help to get through this. And the king of Aram said, your money's good. I can help. And so they together, the king of Judah and the king of Aram would come against the king of Israel. And guess what? Asa, the king of Judah's plan actually works. He and the king of Aram beat back the attack from the king of Israel. But then here, here what, here's what happens in Second Chronicles 16. God sends a seer, a type of prophet, to come to Asa. And he says, at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. So it worked, if you want to think about beating back the, the initial attack. But he's being chastised for the fact that he didn't go to God for the resources that he needed to accomplish God's purposes. God wanted Asa to continue to be a good king and to protect his people. That's what a king does at a minimum. So that wasn't the issue. The issue was where he went for help in his time of need. And if we're going to be in God's plan, if we're going to move forward in the calling that he has in each of our lives, whether that's calling to be a spouse or a parent or a grandparent or the person on the job or a good neighbor, all of us have these callings that God gives us. And sometimes, well, very quickly, we realize that we can run out of our own resources. The question is, do we have not that we have enough resources? The question is, where are we getting those resources? And if you're out of them, things that you need, if you need uh, money, where are you getting it? Are you praying to God for that? Or are you going into debt? The borrower is the slave of the lender and the rich rule over the poor, says Proverbs twenty-two seventeen. God doesn't want his children to be in debt. He doesn't want his children to go to the king of Aram called payday loan or the credit card with the 20 percent interest rate. He wants us to pray and say, Lord, do I need to buy this now? Do I need to buy this? And then do I need to buy it now? And if the answers to those are yes, then, Lord, if I don't have enough resources, I need you to make a way. Too often we're going to a place that gets us into bondage and we're not able when you're in bondage, you can't move freely to go to the places that God wants us to be. Student debt is something that's coming into our world more and more. That's a hard call for parents. But you have to do it before the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? Is this the right school? It seems a little expensive. All those kinds of things. Be before the Lord and know that his calling, where he guides, we've heard, of course, he provides. And that hasn't changed. So don't look for the resources of the world to help you achieve the calling of God. Realize that it feels like weakness. But that's okay. That's right where God wants us, because then he can provide. Then he can give us the resources. So God's power is often hidden 
at first. And God's power feels like weakness. And the third thing I notice about God's power is that it is often quiet. It's not loud and boisterous. It doesn't retaliate or attack. Here's what first, here's what first Peter writes about Jesus when he was on trial and when he's going through this whole ordeal that we were just talking about. Peter writes in first Peter two twenty three. when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. You know, when you're in the center of God's will, where you are, where he wants you to be, he's got your back. You don't have to worry about any other thing coming against you. You can entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. You don't have to retaliate. You don't have to issue threats. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean that you don't call something out. You can call something out. We're talking about the, the Paul and Silas in Philippi. When they are released from prison, the next day the magistrates sort of say, okay, you guys can go. And Paul and Silas, Paul says, hey, not so fast. You guys have imprisoned two Roman citizens. They're like, "Uh uh-oh, that's not a good day. I did not wake up expecting to find out that I've just violated the Roman emperor's law by imprisoning two guys. And so now they're in trouble. But Paul and Silas don't retaliate. They point it out. They point out the injustice. They decide and agree with the magistrates that they'll just move on to the next town. It's okay to stand up for the dignity that God has given you. The fact that you're fearfully and wonderfully made as are all people, and especially those that don't have a voice and those that don't have a champion who are suffering some kind of injustice. That's what Reggie Littlejohn is called to do in her own context. And we may be called to do that in various contexts, within our family, within our home, you know, in various places. That's okay. So being not retaliated doesn't mean that you don't take a stand on certain things. It means that you don't retaliate, that you don't attack someone. It means that you trust God to work out your differences. You know, it's interesting about this whole first Peter passage is he says he uses Jesus as the model. When they hurled insults, their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When Jesus suffered, he made no threats. And then the next chapter, the first two verses of chapter three, he then applies it to marriages. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words. By the behavior of their wives, wives in the same way as Jesus did submit yourselves to your husbands in the same way as Jesus submitted himself to the authorities. Neither Jesus case nor wives case is submission, any kind of statement on value or worth. And our culture kind of gets all that messed up. And so we don't read the rest of it. What is Peter saying in this thing? What he is saying is that he, first of all, he cares about both husband and wife in this passage. He cares that the husband is the man that God intended him to be, that he is restored according to the word, that he is walking in his full godly character. And he cares that the wife has is using the most powerful means of doing that. And the most powerful mean is not to continue to be on his case or to spiritualize it. I'm just going to pray for you. Finally, at long last, the Holy Spirit finally penetrate that thick head of yours so that you get up or rise up out of that seat and go forward and pick up. You know, sometimes we get a little spiritual with people, but we're really saying I'm kind of hurt. And so he's not, you know, he's not telling Peter's not advising being the good pastor wives to go that way. He's advising them on the most powerful route for change in their marriage. And that is to just be God's person in that marriage and to let that witness the power of that witness 
change his heart. Now, that's tough because it's not fast. As many a wife will testify. Probably my own wife would testify to that, too. But it is the most powerful way to effect change. It is the way to have the best health you can in a marriage relationship. And oh, by the way, uh, wives shouldn't feel picked on because the Lord is an equal opportunity, uh, sort of spotlight, the convicting kind of God. And so men are called out a little bit later in that passage, but they're also called out in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as what? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There is this idea of real sacrifice that comes with the job of being a husband. And so men, you know, if you're asking, can you be a better, more godly husband? Short answer. Yes, you can. And how do you do that? You do that by saying, Lord, what is that place of sacrifice? Where do I feel weak? What else do I need to do to glorify you? How can I bless my wife today? So. God's power doesn't retaliate. God's power feels like weakness. God's power is hidden often. We don't have to retaliate in our home life. You don't have to retaliate at work. If you're God's person there, you just say your peace and you trust that God will work things out in that job that you have. We don't have to retaliate or get an attitude at abundant life. You know, Romans 12, 14 um, and through 18 says these things, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know, when you know that you're in the center of God's will, when you know you are where God wants you to be, you don't have to worry about anybody else. You can give them blessing. You can say, hey. Where God's calling you, please go with my blessing. Please go with that sense of wishing you to have the Lord's abundant blessings in everything that you do. I'm where I'm supposed to be, and I'm okay with that. Amen? Now, in saying that, I don't mean to rush the processing, the grief, the pain that many of us are going through, even in this season. It's tough, it's a valley. But it's not a campground. We're moving through the valley. We're not camping out. I don't even like camping, so I'm certainly not camping here. We're moving through, but you move through as you bless other people. You know, being the Sermon on the Mount says, bless your enemies. You know, your family members, your colleagues, your brothers and sisters in Christ, they're not enemies. God has different places and callings for them. We just want to be his vessel of love and mercy wherever we go. So just take that to heart. We don't retaliate. God's power is more than ample to cover all the things that we're feeling, thinking and needing to do in our own lives and in this body. And so let me just conclude with this. If you haven't sort of picked it out yet, I just want to summarize it, that the life of power that we've been talking about only comes by the way of the cross. You cannot do it any other way. Matthew 16, 24 to 25 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. There's no other road that God gives us except the road to the cross, the way of the cross. There's no other end point except our own death to self that we might experience the life that God has.
Don't confuse it. Don't try to live the life that you want under God's power. That's not what he's called us to. But rather, he's given us the privilege as individuals and as a body of Christ to be together and to say, Lord, I am following you where you are leading. And I don't necessarily know all the power or even the fullness of the calling that you have. And it sure feels weak. And actually, there's times in my flesh I really want to retaliate on whatever the circumstance is. But I'm following you as you are leading me. And you are leading me down one way, that place of humility, that place of sacrifice. There's no fine print in the kingdom of God. He doesn't promise us a life of fulfillment and impact without telling us what the cost is. And the cost is our life. And our life, that cost is paid each and every day as we walk faithfully. Amen? Amen. Please stand with me.